the rest of us can turn to uh, the book of Zechariah. If you're uh, visiting today, we're studying through the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 6. And if you're having trouble finding Zechariah, that's fine. It's pretty uh, unusual. But you can just go to Matthew, put it in reverse, go back two books, and there you're there, there, there. You're there in the book of Zechariah. My, my title is there on the screen, God's Rule Now, Zechariah 6. And in God's beautiful providence, his kindness to us, uh, we have been reading the Psalms in the 90s. We read through a Psalm every week and... The last several psalms have mentioned the rule of God. And the Psalm 97 did right off the top, right? It said, the Lord reigns. It doesn't say he will reign in the future. It doesn't say he used to reign in the past. It says he's the king. He is the king. He's the king now. And it says, let the earth rejoice. You know, if we can wrap our head around this great truth that God reigns, uh, we'll begin to be able to understand what Paul meant when he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you missed it, I'll say it again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, Let the many coastlands be glad Look at verse 5 of our psalm. The mountains, <laughs> this is amazing, how, how powerful God is. Look, look at verse 3, 4, and 5. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before Yahweh. Before the Lord of all the earth, the heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the people see his glory. And look at verse 7. Here's the contrast. All worshipers of images are put to shame. See, there's basically just two options. You either worship the true God, or you make up a false God and worship it. All Americans are worshiping something. All people around the globe are worshiping something. Believe me, we're made to worship. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, fast cars or, or just entertainment or a feeling of euphoria or uh, shopping. <laughs> you know, we're, we're drawn to things, to, to be dedicated. You'll, Jesus said you'll either be devoted to the one or devoted to the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. You see, so this is the key right here to understanding what's going on in the whole world, that there are worshipers of images, and they will be put to shame. The Bible kind of challenges you. You know, you're free to make your own false god. You're free to do that. Uh, but it ends in dis- disaster. It ends in destruction. Uh, it ends in shame. They will be put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. And I just love this. Worship him. 
You know? Worship the God who has revealed himself, the true God, the, the real God. Worship him, all you gods. And there's a little tongue-in-cheek there. Um, in our pride, as human beings, in our fallen natural state, we believe we are gods. And we are the architect of our destinies. I'm a self-made man. And there, there's no God going to tell me what to do. I don't have to give account to anybody. Because I am God. And the psalm is saying, you know, you think you're a God. But I, the, the, the command is, worship him. Get it straight. Be, be wise. Let me point out too also, uh, if you turn to the very, very last page of your Bible, this command is, is echoed. I mean, it's such a simple command. Such a wonderful command. Worship God. Worship Him. And uh, let's see if I can find it. This is a little risk because uh, I should have looked it up ahead of time. Yeah, I found it. No panic. I was panicky. No, no need. Verse 9. Verse 9. Verse 9 of uh, chapter 22 of the book of Revelation. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and the prophets and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. It's the end of my sermon, really. (laughs) You can't get any better than that. You want a simple command? Worship God. What do I do? Worship God. Well, how do I do it? Worship God. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And here's the deal. Here's the whole deal. It's God who has revealed himself. He's told us about himself. He's told us the truth about himself. And the corollary to that, dearest friends, is that We don't even understand it. Like, uh, you know, we, lo- we light the candle of hope and peace. And we love this. And I, you know, I believe it with all of my heart that Jesus is the hope and peace. He is the Prince of Peace. I, I believe he died 2,000 years ago because I'm a sinner. He died to save me. I believe that as much as I can possibly believe anything, Right? But just pause and step away from that and say, that's an amazing thing. That's deeply confusing. I mean, it's amazing. It's a mystery. It's profound that that God becomes a man, that the creator has the ability to actually become a part of his creation and still be God. You know, you're going to tell me you understand that? <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I'm like the, the, you know, the ant on the ground. Uh, and I don't, I don't understand. I believe it. I believe it. I assert it. And I'd love you to believe it, too. I'd love us all to believe it. I, I sense that you are here at church today. You say, yes, I do believe that. But it's healthy to step back and say, it's marvelous. <laughs> you know? And that means I marvel at it. 
That means I'm not going to take it for granted like it was, oh, come on, that's easy to believe. No, it's huge. It's wonderful. And actually, I think that's the message of our vision today uh, of the four chariots. It's intended to push us to believe the word of God even when we kind of think we wish we were on God's cabinet, you know, that we were the Secretary of Defense, Secretary of Treasury, you know, or at least the Secretary of Energy, something, and we could advise him. Let's tell you how to run your world, God, uh, because you seem to be making a mess of it here. <laughs> I mean, in my humble opinion. <laughs> you know? Okay, so this, I really believe the first half of this chapter, that's all we're looking at today, is, is an antidote when properly understood uh, to our arrogance. And it, it pushes us to trust the Word of God even when our best empirical efforts, I mean, our best efforts of understanding everything that's going on teach us that this is really hard to believe. <laughs> okay? So let, let me read the Word of God. This is the Word of God. Again, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four chariots came out from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze. I have a picture of that. Here's here's a chariot, possibly not exactly the right kind of chariot, but similar. Four of these chariots come out from... You know, some sort of valley between two peaks that are actually made of bronze, which is, you know, strength and power, um, stability, right? And it says, the first chariot had red horses, the second black horses, and the third white horses, and the fourth chariot dappled horses, all of them strong. I love the ESV. I think they've done a, you know, I'm no Hebrew expert, but they've uh, kind of taken some of the difficulty out, and I think it's good here. They're all strong horses. So there's this list of four horses. There's no, there's no chariot operators. We don't see big fiery angels in these chariots. There's, we don't know. There's no mention of who's driving the chariot. Uh, it's just the color of the horses. And there's red, which is the first one mentioned, right? And then black, and then white, and the, the fourth chariot, they're multicolored, dappled horses. Okay, so here, here, here we're, so a, a good pastor, like I'd like to become a good pastor someday. Uh, <laughs> to, and this is what I do. I, I go and read a, a lot of commentators, and, a lot of, and I look at s- several study Bibles, too, and go and look, okay, so what... What is the significance of these colors? So I, maybe I looked at seven different commentaries and it came up with like three or four different opinions. <laughs> okay? Like the red, you know, clearly means uh, like blood and violence. And clearly the black means some sort of death. And then the white horses, well, that's got to be joy and gladness. And then the fourth are sort of mixed, right? We don't know. Here's the cool thing is, this text doesn't tell us what these colors mean. It doesn't. 
Uh, right? It doesn't. And, and if you compare this with different colored horses and different other parts of the Bible, it's like, well, I just don't know. I don't know what that means. We come to the conclusion that uh, God likes colors. <laughs> I mean, this is a fair conclusion. Have you, have you seen a bird recently, you know? <laughs> Why did you make that bird that color? He has some reason, you know, but he loves colors. Like the white egret, for example. Uh, you go up to north of here, there's a thing called the um, Elkhorn Slough, which is essentially a swamp. Uh, it's an estuary, swampish, total muddy, muddy area. And so let's design a bird who's going to wallow in the mud all day long. What color should we just... Let's go with like a dark, you know, blackish, you know, brownish... Modeled, certainly modeled, you know. You don't wear a white shirt when you're going to work on the car. These things are utterly perfectly white, right? The white egrets, they're just completely white. And they have these long, skinny legs, and they walk around in mud all day long. Oh, it's for camel, uh, camouflage, right? So you can't see them out there. I mean, it's, it's wonderfully absurd, isn't it? It's glorious. It's like a show of power and creativity. Uh, They're beautiful and amazing. And honestly, I think uh, no no matter how hard you dig, you're not going to find specific reasons why there's four different colors listed. And it gets interesting, too. I would like to question. I'm not questioning the Word of God. I'm not. I'm saying this is the Word of God. This is what this passage says. Right? It says four chariots come out from the mountain. Four. We got a whole world here, God. We got a whole world of disorder. We have nations that are are plotting against Israel. And we have four chariots. You are the God of hosts. Couldn't we see an army? Couldn't we see you unleash the armies of heaven against your enemies? Couldn't we honestly see, uh, again, couldn't we see that the fire goes out and consumes your adversaries all around. Couldn't we see the mountains melting like wax, Lord? Wouldn't we like you to come in and fix the problem now? Wouldn't we? Yeah, we would like that. But God, in his providence and his wisdom, has a vision of four horsemen, four not horsemen, four chariots, forgive me. And look what happens here in the text. Then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said to me, These are going out to the four winds of the heavens. The heavens. They're going all four directions after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. The chariot with the black horses goes toward the north country. Now, the issue here is Babylon and Assyria, over the last several hundred years, has been making havoc in north Israel and southern Israel, Judah, Assyria first, and then Babylon. They always come from the north uh, because you can't come from the east because it's a massive desert. And the west is the ocean Mediterranean. So they come from the north, or some enemies sometimes, like Egypt, come from the south. 
but they don't come from the east or west. Uh, so they come from the north country. Okay, look at verse 6. So the black ones go up there, and then the white ones go after them. So two sets of chariots go that way, and then the dappled ones, dappled ones go toward the south country. So east and west aren't mentioned here in the text. And, and here's another weird thing. The red horses disappear. We don't know what happened to them. Where do they go? I don't know. Now, is that a mistake? Is this like bad literature? You know, God forbid, Meganoita. This is the word of God. All scripture is inspired by God as in, and it intended to teach us the truth about God. And here is a truth about God. We have to be humble in his presence. We don't understand everything he does. <laughs> There's an old, old English expression, which is God works in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. Remember that one? God works in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He is performing his wonders, and as much as the people in Zechariah's time could wish that God would come riding in on a white horse himself and terminate the evil and culminate history and eradicate cancer and stop all abuse of power you know in one's flash of a moment in time all over the globe immediately which God has full capability of doing as much as we would like that that's not the way God has decided to govern his world at this time and and we have to see that he knows what he is doing uh, let's just finish the reading here so they go off in two directions, essentially. And it says, when the strong horses came out, they were impatient to go and patrol the earth. I like that. They, they're, they're excited about doing what God wants them to do. And he says, go, patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. Now, the Hebrew word here for patrol means to patrol. <laughs> it's actually the word to walk. And it's four times in this text. They're going out on a very careful walk to go and see what's going on in the world. Honestly, you read commentaries, you read even study Bibles, and they say, these are going out to squash the enemies of God. Okay, that's not from the Bible. <laughs> I don't know where you're getting that. You know, I, I don't mean to be flippant or arrogant, but we, we're, we're trying to do what's called exegesis. You look at the text and say, oh, that's what this text has in it. Let's not bring in what we'd like to hear in this text. You know, let's just say, this text teaches us about the nature of God, and that is, he is fully sovereign, and he is reigning now, but some of his reign we don't like. And he, and he doesn't care. <laughs> I mean, he cares, you know, he cares for us. He loves us, but he's not sitting around saying, man, I just wish they all liked me. <laughs> like we do, right? As if you're ever a leader, you want everybody to like you all the time. And uh, that's, that's not God's style of leadership. Go patrol the earth. Honestly, the, I've looked the Hebrew word up means to walk. They're going out for a careful recognizance. They're going out. To, it's just a reminder, once again, you remember the whole thing? There's twice in this book that says God has seven eyes. And his eyes see all that's going on in the world. 
And this is another reminder that he sees all that's going on in the world. He's got it under control. And he, he knows what he's doing. Um, and then verse 8. Then he cried to me. Uh, this is a, a loud voice. He cries out. Once in a while, I yell when I, when I preach. Uh, that's because the word of God teaches us that it's appropriate to yell sometimes. Jesus cried out in the middle of the feast, I am the water, come and drink from me. And here he's crying out. He says, behold, those who go toward the north country have set my spirit at rest in the north country. What is that saying? It's saying that the chariot that went patrolling up there and seeing what's going on is saying that uh, God is at rest with it. He is at peace with whatever's going on up north there. Uh, Mind you that we know in history, the Greeks are going to attack from the north. It's not saying that forever and ever from now on there will be no more problems from the north. It's saying that God knows what's going on up there and he is at rest with it. He's at peace with it. It is his reign and his rule. So where am I going with this message? Well, we... Talked about the bronze mountains, strength. We talked about, this is an actual chariot, by the way, found uh, in the palace of Tiglath-Pileser, who is an Assyrian leader um, from just probably a few hundred years before this. So they had lots of chariots in in this time. And then we have the color wheel, which I'm trying to say, honestly, I, I believe the best explanation in that is we just don't know. We don't know what the colors are for. And why did the red one disappear? We don't know. So where does that lead us? Where, how do we humbly understand this passage of Scripture? And how does it apply to Christmas? <laughs> I think it's a marvelous connection with Christmas time. Because at Christmas time, we assert and believe and sing all these wonderful truths that still are mysterious and amazing and call for what? Faith. You you have to have faith in what? The revelation of God, the word of God. You have to have faith in God's word, uh, not in the circumstance, uh, but in God's word. What do we learn? This is what I think we should be learning. He is the Lord of all the earth. Uh, Again, look at verse 5. These four chariots had been hanging out uh, with God. They presented themselves before God. What does it say? The Lord of all the earth. Right there in verse 5. Remember at at 4.14, chapter 4, verse 14, it says, These are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. And look at verse uh, 10 in chapter 4. These are the seven eyes of the Lord which range through the whole earth. One of my favorite passages on this, it's, it's in, and some of you might remember me pointing this out, Matthew 11. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. I'm, I'm going to touch on this really quickly because I have several other uh, encouraging messages from word, the Word of God related to this passage. Don't give up hope yet. I like this passage. The whole passage is a beautiful sermon really Uh, it starts out with John the Baptist John the Baptist 
is um, he served God faithfully, and he found out that God's, uh, this is a little bit uh, flippant, forgive me, but God's retirement plan for him was to be thrown in a pit and to wait at the whim of a sexually deviant person to send word that your head's going to be cut off. That's God's retirement plan for a worker of, of the Lord. Wow. <laughs> That's tough. That's tough. And he's starting to wonder, uh, <laughs> did, did, I really get, did I really get into the right thing here? <laughs> you know, he, he, he sends um, messengers to Jesus. Uh, let's see verse 2. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, excuse me, uh, are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? He's out there saying, now we expected God to come out of the mountain and breathe fire and bring justice and wipe out the Romans and set up his kingdom and where righteousness will reign and rule forever and ever. There will be no more tears. There will be no more cancer. There will be no more suffering. You know, that's what we're going for, God, the big one. And the Messiah's here and he's healing a few blind people and it's really cool. <laughs> but are you really the one? Can you feel his angst? It's, it's, it's what you and I deal with constantly. Oh Lord, this is hard. We don't necessarily like this, but we trust you. <laughs> That's where it's got to go. Anyway, like I said, it's a whole great sermon. And basically Jesus says, yes, 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 I'm the one. I'm fulfilling all the prophecies. And um, he preached. Jesus was there preaching and there were unrepentant cities. See verse 20 and 24, through 24 rather. The uh, unrepentant cities, you know, Jesus was rejected and uh, he pronounces woe to them. They will be judged because they did not repent at his preaching. And then uh, this is where it leads in verse 25, very famous section. At that time, this is, you know, John the Baptist is having some questions. People have rejected Jesus. He's pronounced woe on all of those people who didn't. Listen to the message. And at that time, he declares, right? Verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. This is your will, Lord. You are reigning. Chorazin rejected my message. John does face beheading. Yes, but this is your gracious will. You are, the, you are the Lord of heaven and earth. And I have to trust you. I have to wrap my mind around that. Of course, for Jesus, that's not a problem. But he's leading us in this same commitment to who God is, who, the God who has revealed himself all, verse 27, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are, 
all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I think really that's, that's the sum of what I'm saying here today. Uh, we are trusting God even when we don't understand his sovereign will. Uh, verse 11 of Ephesians 1 puts it this way. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He, 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 this is his will. He is working it this way. We, we need to trust him. Uh, we don't have time for it. I'm going to just throw a reference to Isaiah 45 for further reading. Isaiah 45, 1 through 13. Beautiful passage uh, on the same topic. But I'd like to end with this. Our psalm today said the Lord reigns. And this is nine times in the Bible. Uh, and it's always the same tense of the verb. He reigns now. And verse this is uh, just a few of them. This is Psalm 47, verse 8. God reigns over the nations. Who's in charge of North Korea? The God. Hard to understand. It's like a vision with four horses and a red one that disappears. Chariots, I don't know. Verse 1 of 93, Psalm the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. It's saying that in God's time and in his place, nothing happens by surprise for him. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. Verse 1 of 97, our psalm today. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Verse 2. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. How about Isaiah 52 verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Who publishes peace. Who brings good news of happiness. Who publishes salvation. Who says to Zion, your God reigns. And then, of course, uh, Revelation 19, verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. Let's pause there a second. We don't get much thunder in Northern California. Uh, one time I went to summer school in Ohio. I went to college in Ohio. And I was in the dorm in the summer, and my dorm room's here, and out there was like a telephone pole, and BAM! You know, this lightning hit that pole. Have you ever had that experience? I mean, it's like it shakes your world. It, it wakes you up if you were dozing in the middle of the sermon. <laughs> it's, it's rocking everything there. And that's what this voice in the book of Revelation was like. It's like the mighty peal of thunder and it's crying out, Hallelujah! <laughs> Hallelujah! Praise God! Trust Him for the Lord our God, the Almighty 
reigns. He is king. We may not understand his reign. Granted, but he is reigning. He is the sovereign God. He's the merciful God who in his sovereign plan has provided salvation for us through Jesus Christ. We may not even understand that, but we come in faith, believing and trusting his sovereign plan. One other uh, final consideration here. We, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Is that a scriptural inconsistency? Because if, if he's reigning, then why are we saying your kingdom come, your will be done, right? Well, I think it's best understood this way. It's not an inconsistency. It's giving us a way of voicing our longing for God to bring his righteousness and his perfection into our world and into the world of those people we love. It is good to long for God's full-on kingdom to come. You know, one day, yes, he will come. There will be no more threats from Babylonians or any enemies that we might have. His kingdom will come. We long for his perfect rule to be fully evident. If you're a believer in God, it grieves you that it's just so easy to deny God. People can literally, and, and, and like I said a few weeks ago, we actually have, they have full-on huge scientific theories as to how the entire earth accidentally created itself. Uh, you know, through the, you, you study biology in college, and primarily it's a big um, defense of evolution. Constantly hitting at you why, why evolution is real. And uh, having Annalisa here, we went to her graduation from Berkeley, world-class institution, great place to study. We went to the graduation, and one of the main deans was speaking that day. And in the middle of his little speech, he says, well, one thing we know, this is a paraphrase, but it's pretty, pretty close. One thing we know that we've taught you students that we know life didn't begin in a garden, uh, you know, like Garden of Eden. We, that's one thing we absolutely know, you know, that God didn't create this. And, you know, here at Berkeley, after all of these years of teaching evolution, I feel like in this speech I need to shake my fist at God. You know, and God goes, oh, I wish you wouldn't shake your fist at me. <laughs> no, 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 no. But so for us, for us, we long for his perfect rule to be fully evident. We wish, we wish for the day that the atheist would repent, you know, and come to faith in Christ. That, that he, he's, he is the revelation of God. He's using the, the mind that God gave him to deny God. While we fully acknowledge that he is reigning now, we long for his perfect rule to be fully evident. We cannot, we cannot like, listen to this, we cannot like, it's okay not to like it, what we are going through, and still hope for full redemption, and salvation. And at the same time, we can continue to trust his sovereignty. 
We trust you, Lord, even though we don't like this. Because you're good and you know what you're doing. I don't understand all your revelation. But I do understand where it said, you're the Lord of all the earth. You're the Lord of this. You're the Lord of every atom, of every molecule. Nothing happens without your active work. And I have to trust you. You're good. We know now that this is his will. This is his will. Now. And this is his kingdom now. So again, summing it up, what do we learn? He is the Lord of all the earth. He is working his plan. The the whistle's perfectly timed. (laughs) He is working his plan. We will not understand. I just want to say his workings. I think the more you understand, the less you realize you understand things. But we certainly won't understand all of his workings. And then finally, God's spirit is at rest. God isn't fretting. He's not worried if he's going to win the victory or not. This this is his plan. Uh, He's a good God who knows exactly what he's doing. And he's not going to update the software. It's the perfect, the first time out. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, teach us to trust you. And at this special season when we, uh, we think about the beautiful crash and the baby in the manger, uh, Lord, we worship you and praise you. We, we just all out worship you. <laughs> With the crashes of thunder and the mighty waves, we want to say hallelujah, hallelujah. We love you. Thank you for saving us in your power. And teach us to trust you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand for a closing song and benediction? Angels from the realms of glory. Oh